This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports, the post-Black Friday edition, the end of the regular season edition of the BearCast. I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim365.com, writer, 365 Sports radio host, joined as always by Grayson Grundhafer, director of broadcasting, also team and recruiting reporter over at Sikkim365. We got Jack, Jacob, and Garrett in the back as well, helping produce and make everything look and sound nice and we come to you uh with no more regular season games for Baylor football to play in 2022 it's all a wrap save a bowl game uh a saving grace if you will the fact that they will be going to a bowl game uh this Baylor football program so not all bad but uh bad that they ended on yet another loss and that's what we're here to talk about uh at least one more time this go around Grayson uh Going to Austin Friday morning, Black Friday, post-Thanksgiving, just kind of a, a a fitting way for the schedule to end, given kind of like they played on a Thursday. They play, you know, it was just sort of a, a weird bouncing around type of schedule. Uh, so to end on Black Friday in Austin, you knew that there was a grand opportunity. Texas playing well. Baylor not so much, but putting nice efforts out there, just not being able to finish. And, well, I mean, kind of a – Fitting way, I think, for this this football team to end its regular season campaign. Yeah, and I mean, it was kind of a <clears throat> a culmination of all their problems um, that we've seen throughout the year. Now, they had some breaks as well that kept this game close and actually gave them a chance to win this game. But at the end of the day, um, you know, there, there were just little things that just weren't good enough once again and things that just went completely wrong. Um, and then also one thing that, has really only happened like twice this season, and that is in the fourth quarter, they just got absolutely ran over. Um, Probably more so in this game than they have all year long, and that was really disheartening to see. It looked like a team that had kind of given up a little bit, to be honest, for the first time all year where I was like, wow, okay, they mailed it in at the end. Yes, uh, so we're going to talk about Texas to start things off with. Uh, That game, wrap that up, uh, put a bow on it, and then get into maybe a couple of recruiting notes and then get into some other news and notes from around uh, Baylor Athletics. I mean, this is going to, for those just joining us, those are brand new. It's going to remain a primarily football uh, podcast. We will talk some basketball now especially, but um, still going to always sprinkle in football when and where uh, we can, but... The Big 12 regular season now to a close. Uh, Baylor finishes four and five uh, in the Big 12, six and six overall. Uh, don't know where you landed on the prediction spectrum, but uh, certainly I think disappointing for most everybody uh, to be at six and six to make a bowl game and then to lose three straight games to close the season, and at four and five to finish in the bottom half of the conference uh, behind. TCU and Kansas State, who will play for a Big 12 title this Saturday in Arlington, uh, behind Texas, who you just lost to, obviously, uh, by a couple of games a year behind Texas. Uh, Then also behind Texas Tech, um, who 
won a couple games to close the year. Uh, while you went on your losing streak, you beat them head up, but they had one more win in Big 12 play than you did. I think that's awfully disappointing. And then also behind Oklahoma State, who basically crawled to the finish line. They lost two to end the year, and they had no Spencer Sanders for like the last five weeks, basically. They were a totally different team he once he got hurt. hurt yeah. yeah, So and they still finished above you. Uh, so you finish above KU, who lost their quarterback for most of the year. Oklahoma, who's in a terrible funk right now and had an absolutely awful loss to Texas Tech. Uh, West Virginia, who is begging for their coach to be fired, but they won't fire him because of his buyout. And then Iowa State, who... Uh, well, Matt Campbell's not even being mentioned in the coaching carousel. That's where they are. They are far and away the worst team in the Big 12, and yet probably the scrappiest, except for by the end of it, even TCU was or TCU was blowing them out to end the year. So, uh, man, just first things first, middle of the pack to bottom of the pack in the Big 12, 6-6, six and 4-5 six, and five in conference. Not what you expected, huh? No, not at all. Not what really anyone expected. I, I think most of the people that were down on this team this year and down is kind of more of a, a harsh word had them at like eight and four. I didn't hear a single person that said they were going to go seven and five or six and six at the beginning of the year. Um, it was kind of a collapse and not not necessarily in the way that I think most people would interpret it because you got into the last three games. You knew those were going to be the toughest three games on the schedule. We talked about coming into the year that you need to be in a position where you can win the Big 12 going into the last three. And technically, they were there. The problem is, is they lost all three of those games. Uh, all three of those games that really mattered. You had opportunities in two of them, especially the TCU game, which still in my eyes is kind of... I'm not going to say an unforgivable loss, but a loss that just I continue to sit there and be amazed at how they figured out a way to lose that game. The West Virginia game without Blake Shapin, once again, a game that I just sit there and go, how did they figure out how to lose this game? And that was just kind of the theme of this team. And so, yeah, really disappointing. Four and five in conference, like you said. Um, Tech finished ahead of them. Oklahoma State tied with them, but had a better overall record. So not the performance they were hoping for. Um, and, and definitely they failed. They failed to meet expectations this year. And I, I think that's that's disappointing, right? Yeah, no, I, I think it has to be viewed as a – if they're not disappointed over there across the, uh, across the way, then I don't know what feeling they could be feeling. Certainly I think Mac Rhodes would say he's disappointed. I think Dave Aranda would say he's disappointed. I think everybody involved – I mean, you can say what you want to about what they did or did not have coming back and the experience they lost, but – they had all their coaching staff back, basically, outside of what, like, Chancey Stuckey at wide receiver. I mean, everybody's back. Um, and Pallage. And, and Pallage, and, they, and he obviously teams. was very important to what they did. That was yeah. a big loss, clearly, um, because they suffered in both of those areas uh, once he left. And some of it was youth and experience, but um, very up and down on special teams uh, this year, whereas that was the way they won games last mm -hmm. year. So, I mean, yeah, there was there's some things that crept up. But, yeah, no matter who you are, I think that, you're disappointed. I think if you're all these super seniors coming back, you are definitely disappointed. This is not why you returned for another season. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's back to the drawing board, and, you know, we'll see. But there's certainly – there has to be changes in store to some degree. Uh, the coaching carousel starting to get a little bit slower, uh, creep to a little bit more of not quite a halt. Uh, there's still a lot of moves to be made and some fallout as staff start getting hired, uh, the peripheral staffs, but – you know, you wonder, you look around how many jobs could potentially 
poke away at Jeff Grimes or someone uh, else off the staff, and that remains to be seen. Obviously, he's not getting the Auburn job, uh, which I don't know how much of a percentage there was anyways, but that was just something that you thought, okay, just they could go that direction. Um, They decided to be super sleazy instead and Mm -hmm. go the Hugh Freeze route, so uh, no Grimes there, but we'll see. Uh, Right now, though, the staff remains untouched, but um, yeah, it's... uh, it's going to be a very interesting offseason, that's for sure. So let's get into this Texas game. We'll have all offseason to talk about the changes upcoming. And uh, starting off with what happened in Austin, Baylor got the football uh, to begin things. And uh, drive stalled, didn't didn't uh, finish the drive out. Eight plays, 26 yards. Texas has a good defense. Let's say that. Texas has a very good defense, and uh, they definitely showed their uh, capabilities at times in this game. Some of it was Baylor also shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, but Baylor gets an opportunity right out of the gates and, um, you know, uh, ends up punting the ball away after picking up a couple of first downs. Uh, Texas then gets the ball back. And this is like, hey, just if you're not going to score on your opening drive, get some points on their opening drive, uh, which is exactly what the Bears did. Third play of the series, um, you had a big situation where you had a false start right at the very beginning of like Texas first play is a false start. So after, you know, a kickoff that had already kind of uh, or a punt, excuse me, from Isaac power that had placed them inside the 10. And I I've been kind of hard on special teams. So I'll give Isaac power credit here, launches it, gets inside the 10 first plays a false start. Texas backed up. I mean, they're already backed up and that would be important because three plays later, Christian Morgan comes in there disruptive and uh, Quinn Ewers tries to throw the ball away. It's intentional grounding. And uh, that's a safety as he's in the end zone. It's two nothing Baylor. So a combination of a great punt and a false start penalty and a little bit of pressure and Baylor's got a 2 nothing lead right out of the gates, basically. Yeah, feeling pretty good at that point, you know, to get points early. I will say one thing to mention on the first drive, and this will become a little bit of a theme as we go through this game. Uh, Jalen Ellis was yeah, open for that. a touchdown, yeah. and Blake Shapin threw the ball way too far inside. It allowed the defenders a chance to make a play on the ball, and they made a play on the ball. If he leads him, it's a touchdown. Mm-hmm. He did not lead him on the post route. It becomes not a touchdown. It becomes a punt. That's huge. That's a huge swing in momentum. You got to give your guy a chance. I will also say this was the moment where you go, oh, Jalen Ellis is part of the game plan this week. And it was very noticeable, and we'll get to that in a little bit, his ability to stretch the field vertically is very different than anyone else on their roster at this point in their careers. And it's a guy that you sit there and go, why was this guy not playing more this year? Because he clearly had, he was clearly able to take advantage of something in Texas's secondary, and you wonder if he was healthy, could he have taken advantage of some other secondaries as well? Because they've needed a vertical threat all season. Yeah, I agree, and I actually intended to mention that because of what's coming up. But yeah, yeah. they do go for Ellis on a kill shot uh, and just miss him. Um, but he was open, and they would go back to it. Uh, I will say though, you know. Where was he? I don't know, but he made a brief appearance in this game, and then we didn't see him anymore either. So, like, I mean, it's... Uh, he, he he had another one later in the game. There he was had another, another uh, miss by Blake Shapin. He yeah. could have had three long touchdowns that were just complete misses by Shapin. One of them we're going to get to. He But what they did was they played him smartly. They played him in situations where they wanted to take a shot downfield. That allowed him to not have to deal with blocking, which I think is an area of concern and a probably complete, why he's not playing right, as much. And yeah. a complete route tree, right? Because all of these throws are going deep downfield. So 
more utilized in that way, and a part of that was Jordan Neighbors not playing in this game. So let's get to it. Uh, they miss on Jalen Ellis. They get the safety on Quinn Ewers, and then Baylor uh, goes down uh, or gets the ball back, obviously, after the safety. And uh, Blake Shapin does find Jalen Ellis. He goes back to that well on second and five, a 47-yard touchdown. Uh, Ellis's second catch all year, I believe. Uh, the first and only catch was in the Albany opener. Another so 50-yard gainer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, where has he been? Uh, he caught a 50-yard pass in the opener, and 11 weeks later, 12 weeks later, uh, here he is catching a ball, you know, and, and having, you know, one opportunity to go to him uh, previously. So, touchdown Baylor, 47 yards to Jalen Ellis, and it's 9 nothing Bears. Yeah, and I, I think after this play, you're like, okay, so Blake Shapin's found something. Jalen Ellis is out there finding something. They've ran the ball okay up to this point. Um, and I mean, 9-0 on the road, that's the way you want to start a game, and that's kind of the way that you're able to stay in games by starting off that strong. So yeah, a, a very impressive start by the Bears and definitely an encouraging one that I felt like could last throughout the game. And as we're about to see, that didn't last all that quickly. No, it didn't. Uh, Texas got the ball back, uh, seven plays, 75-yard drive. They score a touchdown as Quinn Ewers runs it in. From three yards out on second and goal, this was uh, basically him tossing it around a couple passes uh, for first downs and then a couple Bijan runs and then Quinn Ewers to Xavier Worthy and uh, eventually him scampering in uh, for the score. So it's 9-7 Texas uh, and that 9 nothing lead just disappears quickly. Baylor gets the ball back, uh, three and out, uh, not doing anything of substance uh, with the ball, a couple of incomplete passes uh, after a Quaylen Jones loss of one on the opening play. So got behind the sticks, and then Shapin can't uh, hit anybody. Uh, looking for Josh Cameron, looking for Monterey Baldwin, and uh, they end up punting it away. And uh, this was where I didn't go back to special teams. I mean, you just simply cannot shank punts on the road deep in your territory in in this game. And that's By exactly your punter. It's exactly what Isaac Power did. Uh, I, you know, maintain that despite the the kick just a little while ago that we referenced that helped set up the safety, um, that was great. Uh, but then you turn right around and you make a play that basically gives them a touchdown, uh, and that's what they did here. Shank, uh, uh, Shank from uh, Isaac Power goes eleven yards, eleven yard punt. So, goes from 4th and 11 at the Baylor 18 to 1st and 10 Texas at the Baylor 29. Like, that's just, you cannot do that, man. Three plays later, uh, Texas scores to take the lead. Bijan Robinson would have a big day, a two-run, or excuse me, a two-yard uh, rushing touchdown for him. And it's 14-9 to Texas, just like that. Yeah, and I mean... it. That was fine, and you you kind of sat there and you were like, they're probably going to score here, obviously, just because of power giving that up. They score a touchdown. That's unfortunate, but I will say it felt like Baylor was still moving the football okay, and so I still, sitting there, there was still some confidence that, hey, Baylor can find a way to make up for that, but once again, this is what Baylor's done all year, just shooting yourself in the foot and giving the other team seven points. You simply cannot do that. So, Baylor gets the ball back, uh, now trailing, and into the second quarter, or getting close to the end of the first quarter, they would have a drive that would go into the second quarter uh, because it would go a while. Uh, eight minutes and 41 seconds off the clock, 18 plays, 63 yards, uh, just a lot of 
little yards here, little yards there. You're using all four downs to get first downs. Uh, they convert on a fourth and two. They convert on a fourth and six. Uh, they then get a first down on a third and four, and eventually uh, on third and six, Richard Reese dropped for a loss of five. Uh, they're forced to kick the field goal. After this 18-play drive, you kick a field goal. Uh, but the loss of Richard Reese for you know five yards suddenly makes it a fourth and 11 and, um, you know, maybe in some situations you go for that earlier in the year or something, they decided to get the points. And uh, John Mayers is good from 30 yards out, so it's a, f- a 14 to 12 Texas at that point. Yeah, and this drive was, what, eight minutes and 41 seconds? I mean, it was a long, long drive. And this was one of those drives where you go, okay, now you're starting to wear on them a little bit. You might be able to control time possession. This could help you in the second half. You're right. It was deflating that they end up kicking a field goal. I still believe that if Richard Reese had gotten like two yards, they probably would have gone for it. But you're exactly right. Fourth and 11. That's just a little bit tougher of a sell. Um, so they kick field goal. It's 14-12. But again, you're sitting there and going, they're moving the football, though. They're they're kind of dominating time of possession by a lot. They've been able to move it. Blake Shapin's playing pretty well. They're running the ball okay. Um, and you're only down by two points on the road, and your defense really has played pretty solid up to this point. Yeah, and, you know, the rest of the stretch would be kind of hit or miss, but uh, ultimately they would be fine at the halfway point. It was in the second half when things would really get away, but we'll get there in a moment. Texas responds with a field goal of their own. Uh, first and 10, they get a 21-yard gain from Roshan Johnson. Following first and 10, Jatavian Sanders for 28 yards. I mean, just eating up chunks of yardage. Uh, and then finally, you know, the Baylor defense bows up and gets a stop. Uh, forced the uh, 38-yard field goal attempt from Burt Auburn. He's good. Texas pads their lead at 17-12. to So didn't start off great, but uh, able to eventually, you know, force the kick rather than giving up another touchdown. Yeah, and it should have been a touchdown, but Quinn Ewers completely airmailed Jatavian Sanders, and he was wide open. That probably would have been a touchdown oh, yeah. on that drive as well. So got a little lucky, but, hey, it, it takes breaks to win football games. And 17-12, to again, you're in a good spot. You're moving the football. You're fine. Uh, they were fine, but they would punt on the following drive. Seven plays, uh, only 29 yards. Took about four minutes off the clock or close to it, a little over 340. Uh, but end up having to punt as uh, they just got backed up into a third and 13 situation following a Blake Shapin sack by Alfred Collins, who might sound like a familiar name. He was going to sign with Baylor until he wasn't, and then he signed with Texas and uh, was playing for them. So he gets the sack of Shapin. Baylor punts away, but the defense gets a three and out. Uh, they're able to stifle UT, force a punt of their own, and, uh, you know, just a little over a minute remaining in the first half, and it's 17-12 to 12 Texas. They've now traded punts, and probably the most impressive stretch of football in the entire game for Baylor, and probably, you know, the last couple of weeks, really, uh, as they take the ball and go five plays, 45 yards. Uh, Shapin hits Monterey Baldwin for a couple of uh, gains and hits Josh Cameron for... Uh, a nice first down, and then hits Monterey Baldwin again, and eventually uh, hits Ben Sims. So, what, five for five on that drive? Um, looked good, and they boogie on down the field and make it seem like there was plenty of time remaining uh, as they waste no time at all and taking the lead right before halftime, 19-17 to 17 on the shape into Sims. Touchdown pass. Uh, Texas would get the ball back with, like, seconds remaining, and time would run out. So, Baylor uh, gets a huge momentum shift, and big drive right before the half, and it's, uh, as I mentioned, 19-17 uh, to 17 at that point. 
Yeah, and great clock management by Baylor to give themselves a shot, you know, a full minute before halftime, and a great, great drive by Blake Shapin. One of the better drives we've seen from him all year, especially in kind of a crunch time scenario like this, and they scored really quickly. And, yeah, 19-17, again, you're feeling really good. Baylor's been moving the ball the whole mm-hmm. game. Their defense has played well. Texas's defense has been on the field far more than Baylor's at this point. Um and you just are like, okay, they can win this game. They've put themselves in a position to win this game. Now you just got to go out and finish it uh, in the second half. Credit to Bryson Jackson, by the way, for the sack on Quinn Ewers to, to help the clock run out. That was a big play because Texas did have time. They, you know, big plays yeah. they're able to hit. You know, you wonder, like, is this too much time for them? But uh, Bryson Jackson had the sack. They go into halftime up to feeling okay, although Texas was getting the ball back, so that made that touchdown drive even larger and the stop that they got because there was a little stretch where maybe Texas could have blown that thing open and gotten the ball and then really blown it open. Uh, But instead, uh, Baylor uh, forces the uh, punt. Uh, Texas just five plays on their drive coming out of the half. Baylor would get the ball back. They would go three and out. So you're starting to wonder, all right, how's this game going to kind of flip? And uh, well, then Texas uh, fumbles the ball on their second drive of the half. Jordan Whittington, a great play by Al Walcott, uh, Al Walcott uh, and then Devin Lemire uh, with the um, recovery as uh, Baylor gets a big turnover. Al Walcott, Mr. Disruption, and they're back in business. And then 13 plays, 34 yards. 13 plays for 34 yards. Five and a half minutes off the clock, resulting in a missed field goal. I mean, bang your head against the wall. (laughs) That is what I wanted to do at that moment. Uh, But, yeah, a whole lot of time off the clock, a whole lot of plays run, and a whole lot of nothing in return. Um, Yeah, missed opportunity here as John Mayers cannot connect from 40 yards out. But uh, Baylor had some opportunities uh, in Texas territory. Could just not close the deal. Yeah, a few things to unpack here really quick. Texas had a false start on that first drive of the second half that led to them having to punt. It was fourth and one. They get the false start. They have to punt. That was a huge turning point. Mm -hmm. The fumble then it felt like things were snowballing on Texas, right? Like, oh, no, this is going to happen. We continue to just kind of give the ball away. Um, Baylor gets the ball back. Like you said, they go on a nice drive. And once again, it's third and nine. And Quaylen Jones is wide open out of the backfield. And Blake Shapin just completely misses him in the flat. Just mm-hmm. completely misses it. It's a first down at minimum, maybe even a big gainer. Even if it's not a big gainer, let's just say he gets stopped a yard short, they can go for it, or that field goal is, what, nine yards easier, eight yards easier. Um, just a huge miss and a costly miss and something we've talked about about shaping all year. He didn't get his feet under him. He threw from a weird arm angle, did not use his technique to make that throw, causes a misfire, causes them to kick field goal. They miss it. And I know Baylor's going to have, you know, moments in this game where you still think they're in it. But at the end of the day, this sequence was absolutely, in my eyes, the difference in this game. Pretty much, although there'd be another sequence later where they would fumble that away as well. Um, But, yeah, you miss the field goal after all of that. And it's still 1917 until suddenly it's not. Texas finally, like, wakes up and they're like, oh, okay. Uh, Ten plays, 78 yards in a little over three minutes uh, Roshan Johnson runs in from a yard out to give Texas the 24-19 to 19 lead. Um, and you're starting to feel not so great about things, although there would be another brief moment upcoming where you'd get momentum back. But at this stage, it was starting to feel like, okay, they're gonna, there's going to have to be some stuff 
break their way here uh, pretty soon. Well, this was the drive where things started to get really leaky up mm-hmm. front, and they started to run the football at will. I mean, it, it was getting very ugly, yep. like 12 yards here. Bijan for 13, Bijan for 12, Bijan for 6, yeah. Roshan for 6, Roshan for 5. Uh, you know, you were sprinkling some stuff in. Roshan for 5, Roshan right. for 1. It, it just, it was too easy. They were giving up. I mean, they were just getting ran all over, and that gives you concern. You're like, okay, how will they respond the next time out? And is this a trend, or was it just a, a well-played drive? Well, Baylor gets the ball back, uh, goes 7 plays, 13 yards. They do convert a 4 and three, uh, but after doing so, aren't able to pick up another first down. Isaac Power forced to punt, and then Texas gets the ball back, uh, looking like they could possibly pad the lead, and then this is the huge break referring to. Quinn Ewers gets pressured from Al Walcott, stripped, and it was a pretty impressive big man touchdown as Gabe Hall scoops it up, rumbles, stumbles to the end zone, touchdown Baylor, scoop and score, and uh, huge, huge play, huge swing in this game. They retake the lead, uh, thirty or excuse me, they cut the lead. Wait, what was that? Went no, it was twenty four nineteen Texas. Okay, and then Baylor took the lead twenty seven twenty four. Okay, yeah, okay, looking at the wrong thing there. Twenty seven twenty four. They retake the lead. Uh, the big man touchdown from Gabe Hall, and uh, yeah, that was quite the surprise and quite the energy jolt that was much needed and basically that would be probably the last and the best that you felt uh, the rest of this afternoon after this play yeah and uh you mentioned the drive before in which Baylor punted that third and nine was the incompletion to Jalen Ellis that I was talking about that also very much could have been a touchdown RG3 brought up the big board and talked mm-hmm. about how Blake Shapen needed to lead him more to the inside of the field instead of throwing it over the top he did not on the post he missed Jalen Ellis once again that could have been another touchdown could have been a game changer if you get that in the fumble for a touchdown, but you mentioned it. They go the next drive. Baylor responds. They get the strip sack. What a pickup by Gabe Hall, by the way, for a mm-hmm. six 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 seven guy to be able to pick up a football that easily. I was sitting there thinking, okay, he probably kicked the ball, but then he just stood straight up and just sprinted into the end zone. I was so impressed by that. That just shows the kind of athlete Gabe Hall is, and he had a terrific game in this one. Yes, he did. So Baylor's up 27-24, and then that was basically the last you felt good about anything uh, as Texas would go into uh, run mode, and they would end up eventually closing the game with, what was it, 22? Was that the final total, 22 straight runs to close the game for Texas? Uh, And it was just pounding. Yeah, I mean, it was basically just bully ball. Um, But Texas goes 11 plays, 74 yards after the big scoop and score touchdown. Uh, They retake the lead. Uh, on a drive that saw a lot of Bijan Robinson. Bijan for nine, Bijan for seven, Bijan for four, Bijan for 12, Roshan for four, Roshan for two, Bijan for eight, Bijan for 23, Bijan for one, Roshan for two, Baylor delay of game penalty, Bijan for one, touchdown Texas. That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Um, It would be... I think I'm saying more it's embarrassing that drive because I know what's still to come. And so that just leads into really where it really got embarrassing. I mean, this one drive, if it stood alone, you just go, okay, they've got two great backs, give them credit. But this was, this was a start of basically the rest of this game. And they didn't even 
they're like, Quinn Ewers fumbled it away. Uh, yeah. We're not going to make him lose us this game. So Here why? Here he is a safety and yeah. a fumble return. Yeah, safety. He's giving up nine points. Yeah, exactly. Why yeah. even put the ball in his hands? We've got these two studs, and that's what they went to, and Baylor had no answer for and it. Baylor knew that as well and still could not stop the run. And also on this drive, that third and goal run by Bijan, they had an opportunity to make that play, mm-hmm. and it was just a missed tackle. In the backfield. Another opportunity. Yeah. Wasted with 825. You force a field goal there. You're still very much in this game. Um, not very much in it. You're still in the lead in this game, or at least tied, I mean. And so, yeah, that, that was that was really frustrating to see them, again, not make a play. So uh, then they would get the game uh, over with on this next drive. This has kind of become too emblematic, I think, of like, you know, when you want to criticize the quarterback spot or Blake Shapen, I think this is where you point to it. It's not even so much like – Yes, there's certain areas, his footwork and things like that, but the untimely killer interceptions are really my big bugaboo. I mean, this has happened like three, four times this year where it's like you have a chance to win the game or tie the game or stay in the game, and he inevitably throws a massive pick that just flips everything. Uh, Baylor gets the ball back. They're down by four. There's plenty of time left, and on third and 13, uh, Blake Shapin intercepted by Jalen Ford. Uh, Texas gets the ball back. They go six plays, 42 yards, score again. Bijan for four, Bijan 13, Roshan six, Roshan six, Roshan two, Roshan 11, touchdown Texas, uh, 38-27. Um, and, it, yeah, at this point, the game's pretty much over. Uh, Baylor would get the ball back one more time, not do anything with it, uh, turn it over on downs. Uh, Texas would run it out again, and they did try to score. It was weird. I had somebody like some weird Texas fans that were responding to my, hey, kudos to Baylor's defense for not giving up like the, the touchdown yeah. at the end because, well, I mean, they were just running the football and they're approaching the goal line. And I don't know if it's just like weirdos. I think that's probably what it was. But like uh, try to comment on that. And it's like, no, it's very clear they were trying to get Bijan in the end zone at the very they end of the were. game again. Everyone's yeah, it, yelling Bijan. That's they all were, I was. Yeah, they're like giving him a standing ovation and like this. They could have kneeled the football. And yeah, won this exactly. Game. Yeah. That's all I was saying. But just you know, certain people are just weirdos, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, Bijan for six, Bijan for eight, Bijan for four, Bijan for one, Bijan for a loss of two as Baylor stops him on third and goal at the two yard line. So. Don't know what I was commenting incorrectly on. They were clearly trying to score, and Baylor did stop him, and I was looking for a little ray of light because there wasn't much. That was impressive. They were getting ran all Absolutely. over, and they got a stop. That's, Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, they get a stop of Bijan basically at the two-yard line, and that was it. Uh, 38-27, Texas wins, and by the end of it, they win convincingly by just leaning on their run game and uh, out-physicaling and out playing out executing out whatever in uh, the bears uh, texas wins they're now eight and four baylor as we mentioned earlier six and six and four and five is how they come to a close and now they'll await their bowl announcement upcoming this sunday looking like they could stay in the state of texas or uh, the liberty bowl or the right? liberty yeah. bowl but i mean now at this point they're going to be waiting for their selection and um i could see tech going to the liberty instead or you know and then Baylor ended up in, like, the first responder Fort Worth, uh, right. you know, location. Oh, that or, would be nice. Go play in TCU Stadium. Yeah, they're yeah, well, that'd the be fitting. Playoff, that'd, right? that'd be fitting. Um, you know, quite frankly, for this team, it would be. Uh, but, yeah, that's something along those lines is probably what they're looking at. We'll see here in a few days what ends up happening with these conference title games and how that may affect some of the slotting, but it won't have much bearing. Um, 
And, yeah, that's uh, the regular season for you. Yeah, I mean, this was just a really disappointing effort. And Blake Shapin, like you said, that interception, yeah, it's bad. But the thing of it is, is when Baylor gets in third and 13, third and 10, he has not been good. And that reared its ugly head. He threw the pick on third and 13. He just, when he's in tough situations like that, things don't go very well. He only completed 50% of his passes again in this game. He struggled. Um and he really struggled for a large part of this season. And a lot of it is due to many factors, right? Receivers not being great. Um, the running game being really good in some games, but not as good in others. And then just him just being sloppy. His mechanics have been sloppy all year long. And he's still a young guy. So I understand that there is room for him to grow. He could come back next season and look way different than he did this year. But he's going to have to grow up a lot. Because what I've seen is not a quarterback that's capable of winning a Big 12 title in my eyes, at least so far. And I know we saw it last year. He won the game. But if you're talking, if he had played the entire season, would they have been as good? I don't know. I don't I don't really know if I know the answer to that. I think they would have been because the receivers were better. Um, but I just, I see some areas that are very concerning, especially the turnovers. Uh, because when you're turning the ball over at this alarming of a rate, especially at the most costly times, you immediately put your team behind the eight ball. So uh, very disappointed in the finish for Blake Shapin. Hope he comes back next year more uh, prepared and just a better player. And that's what he's going to need to be a year from now. I will say, though, in this game, uh, Baylor only ran for 101 yards and 2.6 yards per carry. I was concerned about them being able to run the football against this Texas team, and it definitely reared its ugly head. And then it was kind of all the pressure was on Blake Shapin. And at this point in his career, he's just not really built for that. Yeah, uh, clearly not, uh, but they're going to have to figure some things out as far as that goes because uh, that's – man, that was – I mean, I'm, I'm almost relieved we don't have a game to preview, honestly, because yeah. it's like – I mean, just same thing, different day, uh, basically, with this football team. And I think, you know, as I wrote in a column, like everybody kind of think it needs a breather after the last month of just the, the brutal – stretch to close this season. I mean, you knew the schedule was ramping up and all that. Hey, three straight top 25 losses. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? But, uh, man, just the fashion in which they occurred, you know, a blowout loss, a brutal heartbreaking loss, and then basically a one-sided second half really was a separation here. And even in the fourth quarter, you had your opportunity. You took the lead in the early part of the fourth quarter, and then you did nothing after that. You did not, You got ran on 20 straight times and did nothing with the football on offense. So I, I, I said this, like, what is their identity now? Yeah. You know, at one point, it's toughest, hardest working. Well, that's in Lincoln now because Matt Rule's now the Nebraska head coach, and Joey took it to Lubbock somewhat or at least adopted it there and then put his own spin on it. And so there's kind of elements of that, but not really anymore. It's not really their identity as it once was. It's person over player. It's so person over player, okay? Yeah. So there's there's their identity, but I still don't even, I mean, like how does that translate to the on-the-field mm-hmm. stuff? And I, I don't know. Um, and I, th- I don't know that they know, and I think that that's obviously part of what they're going to have to try and figure out. Well, the I mean, a part of the issue, and we've heard it all year from Dave Aranda, is, you know, person over player is great, but if you're not, you know, developing leaders in your yeah, locker room, I if mean, you're not developing guys who can get guys motivated, or if you as a coaching staff are not able to motivate guys every single week to go out there and do their jobs, and you have a lot of young guys that you're trying to ingrain in the culture of the program, you know, things can kind of be tough. And I think we saw that this year. You know, I think there was some growing up to do when you lost all that NFL talent. Um, I also think that they just simply got 
unlucky. I, you know, and I don't want to say that as in they got unlucky to the point where they were a really good football team. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that they got unlucky in some regards in some of these games that were really, really close where it felt like one play here or there could change the game. And so it leads you going into next year kind of thinking, hey, if those plays go the opposite way, maybe this is more like a 10-win team. Um, possible, but in order for that to happen, they're going to have to grow up a lot and, and form more of a um, cohesiveness offensively and defensively because I felt like this year got out of whack quite a bit this year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's some areas where they need to improve, and there's going to be a lot of conversations, I think, this offseason with Dave Randon and the entire staff about um, – Every position, really, every position, there needs to be some conversations about how can we get better? How can we, you know, turn into a elite group instead of a mediocre group that yeah. they were this year? Yeah, we need to move along because we're gonna have all off season to talk about yeah. this stuff. But I mean, they spent twelve weeks basically saying the same thing every single week about maturity and like. I mean, I'm sorry, but like by the end of it, dude, I'm, I'm ten weeks in. I'm writing the same thing about yeah. the same thing being said. And it's like this team's not grown up at all in ten weeks, and that to me was alarming. That we're still talking about these same things we were talking about in August, and the same things we we're talking about in March, and the same things he was mentioning in February, and we're almost back to February. And this team didn't change hardly at all, at least, like, on the peripheral. Like, obviously, we can't see the day-to-day, the growth, and things like that. But it pretty much stayed the exact same. And so, yeah, like, the up top, I think, as much as the -the on-the-field talent. I mean, the -the on-the-field talent, I mean, Texas is just clearly more talented. I think that's that was obvious this go-around. The way they were able to match Baylor in the trenches and do things that Baylor's been able to, like, out-muscle or out-hustle. Now that Texas actually has an edge themselves, like then the talent takes over, and I thought that that was clear. And so it's like, where is your edge now as Baylor? Like, where is your competitive advantage? And I don't know that they had one at all really this year, and I think that they struggled to really find their identity, and even in that person over player, I don't even know how that translated uh, on the field. Um, yeah, I, I just I think there's a lot of questions about, um, you know, kind of who they are and what they are, what they're going to be, and, and they need they need to figure some things out. Yeah, um, they do. It was disappointing. It was disappointing. Yeah. And then to see them finish this game and you look at the running back totals and you go, wow, Quinn Ewers had six carries for negative 48 yards, but their running backs had, was that, 42 carries for 256 yards yeah. and four so. touchdowns? Like, you just can't, you can't win a game giving that kind of stuff up. So, disappointing effort to close out the season and disappointing year overall for uh, the Bears. A lot to work on. Yeah, and uh, another game to go. Like I said, we'll see what happens with the bowl announcement coming up Sunday. I mean, I am glad to see another game and see them have a little bit of a break to prepare for one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's not, no matter what that outcome is, there's still going to be all the same questions. That's not going to erase anything, no matter what they do. In, in said game so uh, now up next will be recruiting signing days in like three weeks um, got a couple of notes you want to pass along here yeah signing day is December 21st uh, Baylor's also going to have kind of their big official visit date on the 10th which is going to be where guys who didn't take an official visit such as DJ Coleman or Caden Jenkins they're going to take their official visit on the 10th as well as guys who haven't visited um, and are guys that are kind of I guess you'd say off the radar types um, that will take a visit that weekend. So that's a weekend to circle as far as who, who Baylor is targeting, who Baylor's really looking at as uh, potential guys to close out this 2023 class. At this moment, they have 24 commits. I think they have room for a couple more. And then they're obviously going to search the transfer portal, which has blown up to an extreme level already. I mean, guys with 
you know, 1,500 career receiving yards after two seasons are entering. Like, there are guys that are really, really good that are entering the portal, five-star guys from A&M. Uh, what, four of them entered two days ago? So a lot of talent's going to be in the portal. And then also Baylor's looking at the JUCO level as well. They offer Jarrell Boykins, the uh, Hutchinson Community College uh, nose tackle. He's 6'4", 322 pounds. Uh, we know that's going to be an area they need to address as they're probably going to lose Apu uh, this offseason to the NFL. So they got to figure out a way to address the nose tackle position as the only guy currently on the roster who played a lot of nose tackle or who is going to play nose tackle is Trey Emery, and he barely even played this year. Um, so they have a lot of kind of depth concerns there and at other positions on the defensive line and also on the offensive line as well. So a lot of things to address going forward, a lot of transfer portal talk and questions, I think, as well as trying to close out this 2023 class. A few names still on the board right now, um, but in general, I, I think you're going to see them be very selective with the spots they have remaining, and they also need guys to make decisions on if they're leaving or staying. Well, you did see some teams go heavy in the portal and have some success this year in quick turnarounds. Uh, we've seen Baylor use the portal as nice complimentary pieces. We've seen them use, like, as far as the championship run, like having a Drew Estrada and uh, Apu Ika, like that really. Dylan Doyle. Dylan yeah. Doyle the year before uh, really put them over Maybe. the top. Um, but, you know, at the same time, now there's teams that, like, they are geared up more for the portal than for signing day. They've got pools and gobs of money. Like Matt Rule just hired in Nebraska. They're about to go on a spending spree about to get to back. Get Spencer Rattler. Are they really? Like. That's, that's what okay. reports are. That well, you, well Satterfield's going to be his right. OC, so that makes sense. Satterfield was just a tight ends coach basically at Baylor. He yeah. was kind of out of the way, really. He, really like, he was. wasn't a main assistant, it, it felt Glenn, like. Glenn and Jeff Nixon. Yeah, he was like down the list of guys that you really thought of. Um, but he went and had a good year with South Carolina, so to get Rattler, that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, they're about to – I mean, Matt Rule's on our show yesterday, and he's talking about, like – I mean, he didn't have the NIL era going on when he was in in, uh, in, in Waco or in, in Philadelphia. But he was talking about, like, yeah, we can tell guys, like, we're in the Big Ten and, like, this – you know, we're going to play on noon on Saturdays more often than not. Yeah. Like, he was giving the whole sales pitch that you think the advantage for the SEC and the Big Ten's going to potentially be. He's using it now yeah. already. And so, if you're Baylor, like, hey, we need this, we need that, the portal bump – so does everybody else. Mm -hmm. Everybody else needs exactly what you need, like right. 50 other schools. So, you know, man, that's it's it's going to be a fight, man. It's like another it's another fight that you have to you have to you know have uh, in addition to your regular signing class to try and revamp your roster. So we'll see how they're able to do that. But um, man, going to be a very busy off season between just the identity piece and the recovering piece from a bad year and potential coaching changes as we see these staff start to form and then signing day and the portal and man uh, gonna be gonna be a fun and wild ride meanwhile basketball uh, let's touch on that before we get into the uh, mailbag uh, basketball with a couple of big games upcoming this week last week just played McNeese State at the Farrell Center beat them um, had to take a little time to pull away eventually but went up by 29 when all is said and done uh, now Marquette coming up in the Big 12 Big East Challenge in Milwaukee uh, tonight, uh, Tuesday night as we record this, and then Gonzaga coming up on Friday in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So the top 10 Bears with a couple of big opponents in Marquette and then, of course, Gonzaga to close out the uh, week on Friday. 
Yeah, I mean, this road matchup against Marquette's going to be very intriguing to me because, I mean, Marquette's not great. I think they're 58th in Kim Palm right now. They're the 69th best offense, 49th best defense. Uh, and so, I, you know, I'm kind of expecting Baylor to win this game by double digits. Um, but I do think it's nice to see them go on the road and have a nice true road test, their first road test of the season. Uh, you know, they played in a tournament, so neutral site. But going on the road, I think, will be a nice shakeup for their schedule against a quality Marquette team, uh, you know, a good Marquette team that could uh, end up making the NCAA tournament. And then, like you said, Gonzaga, who it's a weird year for Gonzaga so far. They're still in the top 10 in Ken Palm, but I'm seeing some real issues with Gonzaga when I watch them play. Their, their defense just is very leaky, which it has been in recent years. We've seen them get exposed when they play really talented teams. Um, offensively, they're still really good, but I, I'm just curious because they're, they're two big losses to Texas and Purdue. They got blown out, and those games really weren't competitive late. Um, so I'm kind of expecting Baylor to beat them fairly handedly. Um, but I think this is also an area that's kind of a, a big game for Gonzaga where it's like we need to get a non-conference win that matters or a couple of them. Um, so they're going to really be focused on this game. So I'm curious how Baylor's able to respond over these next two weeks against or over the next week against these two quality opponents. It's a big week for them. It's kind of one of those growing up prove-it type weeks in the non-conference, I think, for Baylor basketball. Meanwhile, the uh, Baylor women, uh, they are – uh, coming off of a loss, uh, they did get a couple of wins last week, being St. Louis and Villanova in the Gulf Coast Showcase. Uh, that Villanova win, a top 25 win, uh, as the Wildcats for number 23, but then facing the number 22 team, one spot higher, unable to close out a game that they had in hand uh, there towards the end, or at least had a lead there towards the end, and can't hold on to it. They lose to Michigan, 84-75, and uh, drop the Gulf Coast Showcase, uh, Gulf Coast Showcase final. Uh, so a two and one week for the Bears. They'll play Houston Christian uh, at the end of the week. So they got a little bit of a break after uh, some tournament play. Um, but yeah, Lady Bears two and one, but not quite able to up in Michigan. Yeah, and still no indication of what's going on with. Asia Blackwell or no Dream Garrett, right? Uh, still nothing on her or Edwards, right? As far as eligibility uh, yeah, goes, yeah, no, they don't so, seem like they have any clue when she's going to be available to play. Right, so we're just sitting here, kind of. I mean, it's got to be so frustrating for Nikki Collin because coming into the year, I think she really felt like this team was going to be really good, and their two losses are by five points and by nine points against two ranked teams. Where you sit there and go, if they had Edwards and if they had. Um, you know, if they Blackwell and Edwards, you sit, you're sitting there going, okay, they might have won those games. They probably would have won those games. Um, so it feels like they're right on the cusp, but this might be one of those seasons that's just plagued by injury, and it ends up not being the season that they were hoping for. That's kind of where I'm at right now, even though there's still a lot of season left. But yeah. if you don't have two of your thought to be, what, top three or four players on your roster, might even be your top two players on the roster, it's really hard to recover from that. Yeah, it is, uh, but it's what they're going to have to do. Yeah. I mean, it's too early in the season to be, you know, already packing it up, and I don't know that's not what you're meaning, but, I mean, they're just going to have to find a way and figure it out and hope that, uh, you know, Blackwell can come back at some point and that uh, Edwards can get cleared. But, uh, I mean, they still had some good contributions. I think their little freshman duo starting to, you know, kind of learn and grow as they go, and there's some potential there as they get, you know, into the swing of things. And, um 
you know, they got some other good players as well. But uh, Jaden Owens is Jaden Owens. Well. She's played good the yeah. last couple games. And but Sarah Andrews is good. To your you point, know. it's not quite what they were expecting. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, tough loss to Michigan. One that they they had an opportunity to to take home and just could not close it out. Caitlin Bickle has a bad foul, gets fouled out. You know, she was having a nice game and, and so on. So we'll see. Uh, we do have some women's basketball questions within the mailbag. So let's get into that to close it out here. Uh, Scotty B, who do you anticipate in the front court for Baylor men's basketball will step up the most against Gonzaga on Friday? My guess is Jalen Bridges. Yeah, I really like that guess, uh, Scotty B, because, you know, Jalen Bridges, I, I really like his game, but it hasn't so far completely translated the way that I had hoped. He's shooting 20% from three. Um, you know, 49% from the floor is fine. And, you know, 9.7 points, three and a half rebounds is all fine. But I just feel like there's another step for him. I really do, and I think he's going to have a nice game against Gonzaga, and I think he'll have a good game tonight against Marquette as well. Uh, I'm expecting big things from him. I'm expecting him to do even more than he has done so far. Um, I love what I've seen from the you know the three guards, obviously. You got Cryer and Flagler both averaging over 17, and Keontae averaging just a hair below 15 points. Uh, but if these other guys continue to play well, that's going to be great, and it'll kind of set the stage for this team as far as if Jalen Bridges has a good game, Nine times out of ten, they're winning that game. That's a, I think that's a big luxury to have. BU71, what are your thoughts on Bugs, Bella, and Katarina so far this year? Um, uh, talking about the women's basketball team. And, Gary, you can feel free to jump in because you're covering them um, more than we are. But uh, I referenced, you know, a couple of their, their youngins have played pretty well. And, um, you know, certainly not having Blackwell is hurt. But Fonelroy has, uh, you know, made some marks. Uh, so, uh, and, and Bugs as well. But uh, what do you think about those three? Uh, I think they're really coming into their own. Uh, Katarina, to me, out of that group, has the most work to do to see her full potential. Uh, I think you're seeing Bella kind of develop and exert more of her outside game, uh, shooting uh, beyond the arc uh, that's starting to kind of pick up. Uh, rebounding has been really impressive across the board from all of them. Uh, but right now, I like the progression. I think Katarina is a little further behind, uh, but definitely it's a work in progress, but it's going to be a lot of successful once they get more tread on the tires. And would it be fair to say that Michigan game that they just got bullied on the boards ultimately? Yeah, yeah, they got torn up on the boards. That and fouls. I mean, yeah. when you have getting foul trouble, that's one turnovers. Of one, yeah, that's been one of their Achilles' heel all year long. Really, when they lose games, it's they get behind in the foul situation and rebound is just not going their way. But they're young, man. It's going to be mm -hmm. some growing pains, but just stick with them. Yeah, and then uh, mentioned one of the foul problems was Kaitlyn Bickle going out yep. with a lot of time left. She was a huge contributor. Um, to their efforts and, and will be throughout the season. She's she's a good player, and so to lose her was a, was a tough blow. And she's a physical rebounder. Mm -hmm. And so once again, you lose her, that's really tough. I, I agree with what Garrett's saying. You know, with Bella and uh, Lil Page Bugs, you know, both of them seem to be playing a lot better as this season has gone, and they're going to be asked to do a lot. Yeah. Um, because when you don't have Asia Blackwell, who is a really good rebounder, if you don't have Draymond Edwards, who is also a very good rebounder, those are the kind of girls they were counting on, rebounding the basketball ex at an extremely high level for them. Now you're going to be relying on some young players. And so I, I think this could be could be great for their development because they're going to get a lot of playing time and a lot of opportunities. All right, uh, a lot of questions to go here. Uh, anything new on Blackwell or Edwards? No, uh, as we mentioned, nothing there. Grizz Air, um, we'll see. I mean, Nikki Collins is going to continue to update it, but um, nothing so far. Grizz Air, what went wrong this season? And sorry to look ahead, but can we correct it 
next season. Um, and then I'll go ahead and add Dak JD's comment here. No, right now is 100% the time to talk ahead, LOL. I'm glad we get an extra month of practice from the bowl game, but I think we have moved past the days where we are excited just to get into the lowest bowl game the conference has to offer into the days of expecting more. So, yes, let's root for the two th- or 2022 team, but also look forward to greater success in 2023. Well, I don't think there's any doubt they're going to have to be looking to greater success in 2023. I think I think everybody's going to demand that, um, you know, within reason. Uh, but, yeah, let's uh, – Let's look. What went wrong this season? Um, a lot of different things, and yeah. can they correct it next season? Um, I think somewhat, uh, but not the way that you just flip the light switch and everything's magically like, oh, let's just go to the portal and get everything that we need. As I mentioned earlier, uh, everybody else is doing the exact same thing, and sometimes with a lot more backing than what Baylor's bringing to the table. So what went wrong? Can they correct it? Yeah, so <clears throat> as far as your comment, I think we all say that you know this wasn't an exciting thing to happen, them mm-hmm. go to the lowest bowl. I understand that. But I will also say getting these practices is absolutely vital. When you're talking about a young group that's needing to develop leaders, needing to develop chemistry in the locker room, like I, I think that this is huge for them. And so you'd rather be six and six than five and seven is my overall point of that. Now, as far as what what, what went wrong, wow. Um, a lot, a lot went wrong. I mean, you're talking about a team that took a huge step back defensively. Like one, yeah. this is one of the worst defenses Dave Aranda's ever coached. That's crazy to think about. They're like 61st in the nation. I think his worst worst prior to that was the Baylor 2020 defense that was 20 spots higher. I mean, that's just absurd to think about that they were that bad defensively. I saw a lot of guys who missed tackles. I saw a lot of guys who were undisciplined. I saw a lot of um, just times where they just were mentally weak defensively. So I think my, my point of that is that's going to get corrected in a year. Has to. It, and it will. Like, Dave Randa's track record, 10 seasons, uh, he's never had a defense this bad. They're going to be better. They're going to be a top 25 defense, which is basically what he has always coached. And more times than not, it's a top 10 defense. So I do think he's going to get that corrected in a year. My main question, I, I think, of what went wrong also is on the offensive side, their passing game was not good enough. Mm-mm. It was not. When you're running the ball for like 200 yards, there's going to be opportunities to make plays in the passing game, and you have to take advantage of those opportunities. And more than not, Baylor did not take advantage of those. And you can point to the quarterback. You can point to the young receivers. You can point to the offensive line at times. Um, You can point at all of them. I understand that. But I think that passing game, we saw it the second week of the year against BYU in a game where they absolutely just need to complete a few passes, and they win that game by 14. They could not. They could not complete those passes, and that continued throughout the season. Um, I think as the year progressed, they got Khalil Keith back. The offensive line, I felt like, blocked so much better, and they still could not consistently take advantage of the opposing secondary. And by the end of the year, teams just said, we're just going to keep Blake Blake Shapin in the pocket. We're not going to let him get to the outside, and we're going to drop seven or eight guys, and we're going to force him to make throws. And so that's an area that he needs to work on, an area the receivers need to grow on. And I think they can do that in a year, but the question is how much because we know there is a huge step that needs to be taken a year from now. So those are kind of all the things along with the locker room stuff we talked about that Dave Randis mentioned ad nauseum that they need to address as well. Yeah, I think uh, my my first thing, they need to toughen up. They need to toughen the heck up. I understand they're young. Uh, The mental side of things are going 
to come along. But, man, there was way too much, like, middle of the year, like, guys just, like, not trusting themselves and believing themselves and, like, this whole, you know, psychoanalysis part of it. Like, I, I understand the benefit of that, and it's very insightful at times as well. But, like, by the time I was hearing it in week nine, I'm like, grow up and get to playing football. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and not to be harsh about it, but, but that's real, though. Like, that's – like, hey, I don't think – Texas is moping around after their losses, like, oh, well, like, we'll just, right. you know, we're only sophomores. Like, no, like, you're expected to play right now. So I, I think some guys just need to, to – some toughening up needs to go on in the offseason, you know. Um, that would be a, a nice start. But, yeah, there's a lot of areas that you just mentioned that they're all in need of some addressing. Scotty B, the Baylor King, this is towards Blackwell. Okay, so he's – Going back to women's basketball real quick. Uh, I actually saw on Instagram Live where Asia Blackwell stated she can skip, hop, and run now. I did see she had two bandages with no crutches nor braces when she was at the Baylor men's basketball game last week. As for now, she doesn't even have bandages anymore. I don't know when she will be back exactly, but these are steps in the right direction. So thank you, Scotty, for uh, peeping all of that on um, Instagram. To be clear here, even if you've you know, hurt yourself in a certain type of way, a lot of times you can still skip, hop, and run. The question is, can she cut? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's ultimately the, the, the real test, right? Because most knee injuries, it doesn't matter if you can jog, skip, go straight forward. It's, can you move laterally? That's always the, the biggest thing in my eyes. But thanks for the update, Scotty B. Hopefully that's an encouraging sign. Yeah. Uh, ZT Smith, 423. How do teams find a prospect in the portal? Do they have assistant coaches? Watch the portal all season and evaluate the players. Thanks, guys. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Well, thanks, ZT. Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, it's... I guess you're watching the portal all season, but it's really more so towards this time right now um, is when you're really starting to evaluate all those guys and figure out what you need and figure out the guys that are entering the portal because, you know, a lot of the guys that entered early, you know, they didn't play their full season. And so you're kind of going off limited film. Now you're going off guys who played their entire year. You have their full film to look at. You get to see kind of their, you know, just what they've done throughout their career and, again, this specific year. So, yes, they do have assistants that look at that. They have guys that send in tape. They're all evaluating these transfers. And then and ultimately, in meetings and stuff, they decide, hey, he's an offer, he's not an offer, this is a guy that we should take, this is a guy we should just kind of stay in communication with. So that's kind of the process behind it. It's not really all that intense outside of just figuring out, is he a good person? Can he play football? Does he fit the need? And does he fit the culture of Baylor? I think those are kind of the questions that are more so answered. Yeah, and they have somebody that definitely monitors the portal activity, like who's in, who's out, All who's the new. Guys, really. Yeah, yeah, I mean they're 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 always you know they've got their special logins and they're able to to go and see that special secret database um, and figure out you know who's now entered and is officially in there and and whatnot. But um, yeah, like there's some programs that have like teams that are monitoring the portal. You know, Mac Rhodes has talked about the need. They've had to debate on whether there's a need for like a portal hire, like a person whose like job it is to watch the portal basically yeah. and figure out the info on these guys, as you mentioned. So yeah, there's just a, you know, sometimes a previous relationship, you know, like, Oh, I knew that guy. I recruited him four years ago. And then, you know, maybe that gets you a head start on some guys, but Basically, what, what Grayson said, McClendon Bear, do you think TCU having a new offensive and defensive scheme this year after the coaching change is an advantage for them? Since all the Big 12 teams play each other every year, they probably got pretty familiar with each other or probably get pretty familiar with each other. I think Baylor might have benefited similarly last year with it being year one with Grimes at OC. I think they benefited as much from having 
Max Duggan and Darius Davis and Trevious Hodges Tomlinson and Quentin Johnson. Quentin Johnston and Kendry Miller. And I mean, they have like their whole team back, yeah. uh, basically. And I think they also have a head coach that they enjoyed playing way more for this time around than the dude they were playing for for most of last year and in the interim uh, that followed. I think that they are all having fun. Um, I think cause makes a difference in the strength room. I think it's a combination of those things as much as as what you're you're mentioning as well. Yeah, and I, I agree 100% with all, everything you just said. I, I think it was also just a culture shift that needed to be had there. They just were kind of at a stalemate with Gary Patterson. So I think this brought a new and fresh uh, environment. They always were talented. Like they always had oh, yeah. talented guys. They just weren't utilized to their full capabilities, and now they are. So um, I don't. I think it, like you said, it's less about oh year one with these guys, and more so about I think a great fresh start with a team that was loaded with a lot of older veteran guys, and so it all worked out really well for them. It might have helped Baylor last year, but to be honest, Baylor's offense wasn't ridiculous last year. Like they were good, but it was more so about their defense. Uh, yeah, in my eyes, and I think you know. Um was it Garrett Riley gets a lot of the credit, but uh, Gillespie's as good of a hire awesome. as, as Dykes yeah. made. And I think that, you know, that was uh, a difference maker for them. So you take a, a coach who's pretty well respected, even from a smaller school, and then you put him in there with a bunch of talent, the most talent he's had by far. And you put them in, you know, into a situation where they're all happy and having fun and enjoying playing with each other. And yeah, it's it was it's like Baylor's run last year in a lot of ways, just a bit better. Uh, do you think Dabney's injury hurt the passing game some? He had a few good games receiving early in the year, particularly during the Iowa State game. A little bit, but I'll you know I'll say Kelsey Johnson's played really well. I think. I mean. He's not as experienced as Dabney, so you did miss him. You missed the opportunity to play all three of them, but I don't think it was to the level of, oh, it would have won them a game. Maybe the TCU game, maybe that's fair, but outside of that, I don't think there was a game that could have been drastically impacted by having Dabney. Yeah, I don't think that he showed enough to be like that much of a difference maker for them. I mean, as far as like you could like, oh yeah, he's for sure they yeah. would have won that game with him. I don't yeah, think like he's there. Win yet. a game, like because he's going to be awesome next yeah, year. Yeah, like, no Ben Sims, he's going to be. He might be the tight end. You know, outside J T. Sanders, he might be the best tight end in the conference going into next year. Yeah, potentially, possibly. I mean, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I think it hurt, but not not like a results driven yeah. hurt. Um, but he could get there in the next couple of years, uh, that type of a player. Uh, thank you for the question. Um, can you share, Bear in the Big Greenhouse, can you share the definite list of all football players who cannot return next year? I'm a bit confused with the COVID year exception. Well, so am I. Um, yeah. But the best I can tell, and I don't know, like, who's got a magical year to pull out from somewhere. Uh, Luke Anthony will not be back. Uh, Landry Kenny. I mean, those are two walk-on quarterbacks. Um, but they were both transfer guys. Um so let's like let's focus, I guess, on the scholarship yeah. type of players. So, uh, let's see, Gavin Holmes, uh, Jackson player can't Thanks, come back. Yeah. Uh, Jackson player is is done. Um, the, the way they've got this lined I, up I is have, weird. I yeah, think Gavin ahead. Holmes. I think he's done. Um, maybe he could throw in some random medical year because he missed so much time, but I don't think <laughs> Do so. You see the experience. Like, the way to sort the roster through experience because of the COVID year. There's, like, 17 right. different categories. For, is it just freshman, sophomore, redshirt freshman? It's, like, 1L, 2L, yeah. 3L, GT. It's wild yeah. how this has changed but, over the years. But, yeah, Holmes, I think Ben Sims is done. Bryson Jackson's done. Bryson Jackson's done. Grant Miller, Khalil Keith, Jacob Gall, Mose Jeffrey. I think they're all done. Connor Galvin's done. Um, believe... Cole, oh, uh, Cheedy, 
I think's done. All right, let's go. Okay, it's just like it's a cluster. I mean, Christian Morgan, Mark Milton, they're yeah. done. Or I think everyone's like Christian might have another year. Okay, let's go fifth year and beyond because those are probably guys okay. that are done. Isaac Powers done. Mark Milton's done. Christian Morgan's done. Dylan Doyle's done. Ben Sims gone. Hans Spar Jr. gone. Utley gone. Jeffrey Mose Jeffrey um, gone. Connor Galvin gone. Jackson Player gone, John Mayer's gone, Gavin Holmes, Bryson Jackson, uh, Grant Miller, Khalil Keith, Jacob Gall, Cole Maxwell, Chidi Obanaya, all those guys gone. Moe's. I said Moe's Jeff. You said Moe's, okay. I believe so. Um, so. Yeah, I did. And then I'll add a caveat because I know this was mentioned. So apparently Dylan Doyle could come back. Okay. But apparently. That's that's the uh, what kind of people have been saying. I don't remember exactly the reasoning why he can come back. But he's one that could if he wanted to. I guess COVID year. Yeah, Al Walcott, TJ Franklin could come back. Um, I think someone even said Braden Utley could come back, which. I mean, pa- I mean, like, that's the thing. You so know, the, it's, it's those few right there, kind of the ones up in the air. Squirrel could come back again. Although he, he walked on senior day. Right, so. but he could. TJ walked too, but he, I, he could come back as well. So that's kind of where they're at. But the guys you mentioned, that's pretty much the list of guys that are going to yeah. leave. The few that I just mentioned are guys who have an option to come back. Right. Uh, Grizz Air, next year will we run any trick plays besides the one trick play we ran six times this season with teams catching on after the second time? Maybe. I mean, I, I can't answer that. It's going to be Jeff Grimes' scheme. I know what you're talking about with their trick play. It did work once against Iowa State. And it's then, like a wind-up toy, man. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it didn't Slow work after play. that, so they could probably, you know, maybe do a couple more occasionally. But, you know, I, I don't think they're too gimmicky offensively. They like to run their offense for the most part. Uh, all right. Uh, Grizz there again. Have been thinking about the same exact thing all season, talking about TCU, the newcomer effect. No one knows you or your tendencies, so you're able to win games you should. And if TCU can replicate it next season, then we shall see if it's a single-season newcomer effect or staying power. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, though, with the portals. If you just got the right groove, man, you can replace. And Baylor's didn't replace their their players well enough. I mean, in terms of talent, they banked on, all right, we'll develop guys and do it that way. And also, like, you can only get what you can get. And so – you weren't going to be able to mass produce your secondary as much yeah. as you would have loved to. But, yeah, if TCU can fill some holes through the portal, that maybe is not necessarily as much of a drop-off for them, but there's going to be a drop-off. Like, there's if, if all those guys we just mentioned leave, Johnston, Hodges, Tomlinson, uh, I don't know where everybody is on their list. Like, Kendry Miller will be back, for example, but maybe. Duggan should be gone. He might leave early. I mean, maybe, yeah. but, like, he could come back. Duggan will be gone, um, so on and so forth. Uh, we'll see. One thing I'll mention, though, is that... I don't think th- people caught up to the wide zone, though. I just don't think Baylor no, was as good or but, effective. Right, and they didn't have Khalil Keith for right, half the year. Yeah. But I, I think that, to me, the the more that I'm also looking at this is like, okay, if you're going to use that as your statement, then why wasn't Oklahoma good? They had a completely new offense. Like, it's more about yeah. the talent on the roster mixed with these new coaches that provided a much better cultural environment for TCU than they had in the past, in my opinion. Yeah, it was just culture as much as anything. Talent was already there. Uh, yeah. And I mean RVO, not the wide zone. Uh, wide zone is aspect of the reliable, violent offense. Yeah. But, yeah, the RVO, I don't think people have, like, caught on to that. I no. just think, like, you couldn't execute it. And you yeah. weren't nearly reliable or violent enough most of the time on I mean, offense. Kansas runs RVO. Yeah. 
Sort of. They run wide zone, but right. it's very similar. Grimes is the RVO. Like, that's his yeah. signature brand. Um, overall, Minion, hey, guys, what kind of changes schematically, players, et cetera, do y'all think the coaches will make for the bowl game, if any? Thanks for all y'all have done and continue to do. Thank you, overall, Minion, for the question. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see too many changes, uh, personally. You might see some young guys that get some playing time. That could be possible. Um but outside of that, I just don't see them making wholesale changes during the bowl season. You might see them maybe, you know, make a couple adjustments here or there, but I think they're going to want to run the football, run their wide zone. They're going to want to run play action. They're going to want to work in, um, you know, some misdirection. Um, and I think it's going to be the same offense. This, this isn't a team that's gotten too cute in my eyes. They still want to do the things that got that made them successful a year ago. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, I don't expect too much to change. I mean, you can't really we would install a new offense and you know change quarterbacks. Like I just don't think that that would be all that productive. This is going to be about focusing on the young guys and trying to do what you can towards next year. Um, but yeah, I mean, any wholesale changes I think will be put off until spring ball. Um, you know, yeah. they're just going to worry about trying to get a win and get some momentum and get the heck out of this right. season, quite frankly, and then figure all the rest of the pieces out. I do think it will be an opportunity for since we're getting a question about Blake Shapen. I do think it'll be an opportunity for Blake Shapen to show growth, though. Like, mm. these practices are very important for him. He needs to play a lot better in the bowl game. And if he comes out and puts together, like, that Charlie Brewer 2018 performance against Vanderbilt, then there might not be as many questions going into the offseason whether he's the guy or not. But that really comes down to how much improvement do we see uh, through, these, through this next month. All right, let's close it out with a couple of questions here uh, on quarterback. Uh, David Denny, I know a lot has been said, speculated about the QB1 position this year. Do you think that KD, Kyron Drones, or Austin Novosad have a legitimate chance at earning the QB1 designation, or will Blake Shapin be the guy? I know I'm asking you to look in the future. What do you guys think? I think it should be an open competition at this very moment. Yeah, I don't I see too. any reason why it shouldn't be. I think it should be the exact same thing that happened this past off season because Blake Shapin simply did not play well enough for, I think, anyone to sit there and say, oh, yeah, we know for a fact that he's going to be really good next year. I don't think anyone can say that with a straight face. I think that there could be improvements. You could see glimpses of his talent in the future, but he needs to prove it again this offseason. I think these guys should be given a chance to go win that job. And, you know, I mean, we only heard about it sparingly through random comments here and there, but, like, is this his team? Like, does every, is everybody bought in on him as being the guy? Yeah. Like, I think so, but I don't know that. And so, like, he needs another offseason to really drive that home, and there should not be any questions about that next year. You know, like, there should be no doubt about who the leaders are and who the the, the QB that everybody looks to and has confidence is in. And I feel like they did, but also kind of sort of felt at times like, do they yeah. believe that? Like, is there that confidence? I don't know. But, yeah, I, I'm, I think it should be a totally blank slate. You know, if you want to sprinkle in some of what you've seen – that's fine, but, like, yeah, restart this quarterback competition and let everybody have their opportunity. I mean, Gary basically won a Big 12 championship and a Sugar Bowl, and I know he didn't play great, but that still led to an open quarterback competition. Yeah. So you go 6-6 six and six and your quarterback still doesn't play well, yeah, there, sh there should absolutely be one. Yeah, no, and there I, will be, I think. I, I think there has I'd to be, be for everybody's confidence levels and yeah. belief. I think they, they have to see that, um, you know, like, hey, here's even the starting quarterback that's getting – taken to not taken to task but hey he's he's his job isn't safe he's got to right. perform too uh so thank you david for the question robert uh, bobert rollsby if shapen remains qb1 how much improvement in his game can fans realistically expect over the offseason how fixable are his weaknesses like footwork in your opinion 
Thank you, Bobbert. I do think that there is room for growth. My question is, what's his ceiling? Is kind of my ultimate question at this very moment. Like, the footwork, the technique, his trying to throw him from different arm angles. Like, that stuff works for a guy like Patrick Mahomes. That stuff you don't get away with. In you know, when Patrick Mahomes is really going to hurt quarterback development in this country over the next few years. Everybody's trying to do what he's yeah, doing because it's yeah. baseball guys who are throwing off their back foot and thinking that they're going to get away with it. That was a baseball guy, right. and you but don't he's have, special. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. And so his throwing motion looks like a baseball player, but the thing of it is, is his arm talent is surreal. Like no one has that kind of arm talent. And so Blake really needs to get back to the basics. And I think that his throwing motion needs to change a little bit. His footwork needs to get cleaned up drastically. Um, And he needs to get stronger, in my opinion. He needs to put in a lot of work in the weight room to get himself to a point where when he does run for a first down, he's not relying on sliding, where he can actually feel like, hey, I'm confident that I'm strong enough to get through a tackle and get a first down. And so I think there are areas where he does need to improve. And if he does improve in all those, he'll be way better next year. But the question is, you know, those baseball tendencies are sometimes hard to correct and sometimes hard to get away from. Um, So we'll see if he can do that this offseason. But like I said, his improvement ceiling is there. But the question is, is his improvement ceiling high enough to where, hey, he could be the best quarterback in the Big 12 next year? I don't think so. I don't think it's quite at that level. Yeah, uh, it was frustrating watching him run at times, um, just how ineffective that really was. Um, obviously, you can know, get a bit better uh, in the passing game as well in terms of act, you know, footwork and all that, although footwork is footwork, and like how much can you improve that? Mm-hmm. Um, can you totally change your footwork in an offseason? I don't think so, but can you improve it? Sure, to what no. degree, though? So, yeah, there's, there's definitely questions, um, and that's – Probably at the top of the list, you know, along with how do they revamp the roster, how do they get more talent, you know, who steps up, uh, who comes back, um, all those types of things. But I think, yeah, definitely the quarterback spot, as usual, is going to be probably the biggest talking point this offseason. So we will see. But thank you for the questions uh, from everybody. Um, good number of them this week. And uh, we do appreciate you as we do start to turn the page into the offseason for football and signings and all those kind of things. Bowl practices, though, up first and should be fun. Glad that they have a bowl game. As Definitely. much as we're like poo-pooing on the season itself and whatever. I mean, it, you know, could have been worse. It definitely could have been better. Um, but glad that they have an extra game. So anything before we go here, Grayson? Yeah, do you want to do you want to get a Big 12 prediction in? Sure, go right ahead. Game? Okay, so Kansas State takes on TCU in the Big 12 championship at 11 a.m., on Saturday. Currently, TCU is a two and a half point favorite. The over under is 62 points. It's a rematch, obviously. TCU beat them 38 to 28 in a game that saw Will Howard come in from eight for Adrian Martinez and then promptly get hurt in the third quarter. TCU went on to win that game. Who do you got in the rematch? Hard to be a team twice. I realize that. I haven't given this any thought outside of you just asking me a second mm-hmm. ago. I'm going TCU. They're the team of destiny, uh, they're 12 and 0. I think they're going to go 13-0. and I think they're going to go in the college football playoff probably regardless. I didn't so much believe that yesterday afternoon, but now it kind of feels like that's where momentum is, is they could lose, as long as they don't get, like, blown yeah. out. Um, that they probably are going to the playoff regardless, and I think that they beat K-State. I mean, I, I understand the quarterback spot had something to do with that first game, but I think things are also different this time around. Like, it wasn't as simple as, like, oh, now you have your starting quarterback. Everything's the same. Right. I think TCU's probably learned some things since then, too. So, give me the frogs. Yeah, and I mean, K-State's been a lot better with Walker Howard. They've been a better football team than with Adrian Martinez. Will Howard, I'm sorry. Will Howard. And so, um, 
you know, that changes things for me. They've been really good with him at quarterback, but I just, I, I mentioned this earlier when I was talking to Garrett. I, it just seems to me like TCU, like you said, is the team of destiny, and that if this game is close, TCU's going to find a way to magically pull it out and win it, and I trust Max Duggan in those situations to get the job done, and so therefore, yeah, I'm going to go with TCU. I think it'll be a good game, though. I think it'll be something like 33-30. to 30. I think it'll be a one-score, maybe a 10-point type game, uh, but I'll take TCU, and yeah, like you said, that'll put them in the college football playoff and probably put them as the uh, number three overall seed in the CFP as well as they would become the first big 12 team outside of Oklahoma to make the college football playoff pretty crazy yeah and uh, polish off a what perfect season um you know the process would be mightily impressive uh so yeah I mean they're they're having a magical run you can hate it all you want but you got to respect it uh, in my opinion I'm just glad it's happening with somebody who's at least likable and not uh the other guy that used to be there (laughs) I would hate to be talking about them like we are if you know you know who was still roaming the (laughs) sidelines but in all seriousness uh that's where you want to be. That's where Baylor was last year. And to get back there, they know there's a lot of work that has to be done. As we've outlined, there's a lot of work that has to be done. But the bowl game will be a part of that. So we'll start to gear up for that because next week we'll know actually where they're playing and who they're playing and what to expect with uh, everything that comes with that bowl opportunity. Uh, and we'll also be a, a week further into transfer portal stuff and you know all that jazz. So stay locked in on the website for all the recruiting news leading into National Signing Day here uh, in less than – uh, a month, big, big stuff in store, especially the, the seedlings being planted for next year's team already. Uh, so just saw uh, here's ULM starting quarterback Chandler Rogers is in the portal. There's like one after the other. These are coming through yep. uh, as the portal starts to fill up. But thanks to Garrett and Jacob and Jack behind the scenes. Uh, thanks to Grayson Grunhafer as always. And thanks to you for listening. We will talk to you next week. This has been the Bearcast on Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports.